Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, our guest speaker today is no uh, stranger to us. He's been around here before, and we're always blessed when he comes. The thing that I love about Franklin Graham is Franklin always, whenever I've heard him talk about anything, has always preached the gospel. He looks for opportunities when anyone's around, and he stays close, on point, to the message. He's faithful to proclaim the message, and that's why God has honored his ministry. He heads up two organizations the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, as well as Samaritan's Purse. Franklin has often said that God has called him to the ditches of this world, uh, to those people less fortunate. He's brought relief and medical help all across the world, but always sharing the gospel. When he was first invited to preach back in 1983 by John Wesley White, he didn't want to do it. After he gave his first crusade event, he said, I'm done, not going to do that again. But since 1989, he has preached to over 4 million people around the world, and that doesn't even count the television broadcasts that go out. Um, He now gives 10% of his time to doing um, crusades, festivals, as they're called, around the world. We're thrilled to have Franklin prepare to hear the gospel. Franklin Graham. Thank you. It's a great privilege to be back in Albuquerque, and I want to thank you for the shoeboxes that you all have prepared. You know, people have asked me over the years, Franklin, did, <laughs> did, you, did, did you think that up? I'm not that smart. Uh, this is about uh, 15 years ago, a man in England during the war in Bosnia. He called me in June. He said, Franklin, we're going to send some shoebox gifts to children in the refugee camps in Bosnia. Would you like to be our North American partner? Well, this was June, okay? Yeah, sure, we'll be glad to. Um, he said, well, I'll call you in December, and we'll make a plan on how we're going to ship them. And, uh, okay, great. I look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, June. You know, who's thinking about Christmas in June? I forgot about it. Well, December comes along, and this guy calls. And uh, he said, uh, Reverend Graham... Yeah. <laughs> he said, how many shoeboxes have you collected? I had forgotten all about it. I said, you know, we're still working on it. Uh, call me call me next week and I'll let you know. Boy, I, as soon as I hung up, I got on the phone and I called a friend of mine, a pastor of a large church in Charlotte. And I said, listen, I, I am in trouble. I need your help. I made a promise and I forgot about it. What do you need, Franklin? I said, uh, I explained how you take an empty box, fill it with toys for a child. And um, I said, listen, if you could just do that and, and challenge your congregation to give a box. And I thought if we got a thousand boxes, you know, I would, I will have fulfilled my, my promise to this man. So uh, he said, Franklin, I'll do it. Uh, you know, just give me a call next week and I'll let you know what we did. Well, he called me a few days later. He said, Franklin, I need you to come down here and get these boxes. I said, uh, okay. He said, well, listen, he said, if you could come today, it would really help because they're really in the way. They're in the foyer. He said, they're out on the halls. They're in the gym. He said, We're, we just really need you to come get the boxes. And I went, okay. And sent a truck down. We had 11,000 boxes. And um, 
I called the man in England. And I said, listen, God, God is, um, uh, he's blessed. We've got some boxes. And he was excited. We gave them out that year. Put a lot of smiles on children's faces. But he called me the next year. He said, Franklin, he said, we're not going to do it anymore. He said, it, financially, it's just too expensive. Uh, the handling, uh, paying the freight, the shipping, we just can't do it. And if you want to continue to do it, go ahead. But we're backing out. And I thought, oh, no. I, you know, what do I, I don't know. I got our guys together. What do you think? Franklin, let's do it. I said, well, listen, if we just, if we just are putting smiles on children's faces, uh, God's not going to honor that. But if we could somehow give these boxes in such a way that the children know the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus Christ is God's Son who came to this earth, was born on Christmas morning, and He came to save us from our sins, that He grew up and He ministered on this earth, and He died and shed His blood for our sins on Calvary's cross, and that He rose again, and that Jesus Christ is alive. If we can communicate this to these kids, then let's do it. This year, we'll have about 8 million boxes. And this is a God thing, friends. I'm not this smart, okay? God has blessed because this is an evangelistic program. I ask everybody to pray. Now, I don't know about the theology of praying for a box, okay? The Bible doesn't teach that. But praying for the one who's going to get the box. God knows which child's going to get your box. And if you pray for the child who's going to get that box, we know God will hear the, the prayer of one righteous person. But 8 million people pray, and you think God just might hear that and use your gift to touch the life, the heart of a little child, and that God might use your box to reveal to that child Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, I ask people, you know, pray not only for the box as it goes and for the child who's going to receive the box, but I ask everybody to put your picture inside because I want the, I want the child who gets the box to see who gave it. And I, and I ask you to put your address in there because I hope... <laughs> that that child will, might be able to write you back and say thank you. Well, a few years ago, uh, we were doing a distribution in an orphanage, and a little uh, boy got a box, and uh, the lady handed it to him, and he pushed it back. He said, I don't want a box. She said, but this has come from America, from people who love you, and they've packed this gift for you. I don't care. I don't want it. I want parents. I don't want a box. Well, we don't have parents. <laughs> But we do have this gift, and it's come from people who love you and who've been praying for you. Don't you want to just peek inside and see what's in there? Okay. So they take the lid off, and there's toys in there, and there's some candy, there's some school supplies. But in the very bottom of the box is a picture of this couple that had sent the box. And on the back was the address, and the, this teacher said, Don't you want to write this couple and thank them? Okay. <laughs> so she helps him write out this note, you know. Thanking this couple for the box. Well, about a month and a half later, this couple gets this letter. And they were so excited to hear from the child that, that he actually got their box. And so they wrote the child back. And a few months later, he writes back, This child wanted parents. This couple was childless. He didn't want the box. He wanted parents. God put the parents in the box. This couple, six months later, adopted this little boy. Now, you know, that's... <laughs> Friends, I can't organize that. This is a God thing. God uses these gifts, and when we pray, 
God will use these boxes to touch the lives of these children in a very special way. Not just to put a smile on their face and bring joy and happiness to their life. But you see, we distribute the boxes through the churches around the world. We collect them from churches like this. And our partners around the world are the churches. And they distribute the boxes. And when you give a gift to a child that's never had a gift in their life, let me tell you something. They're going to listen to what you have to say. And it's these pastors, it's these churches that tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for helping to make this possible. And this year, as we go around the world uh, delivering these boxes in the next uh, few weeks, uh, please pray for the children, not only the child that's going to get your box, but all the children who will receive a box this year, that we'll have that opportunity to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. So thank you. I want to look this morning at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. And this is going to be in uh, 2 Samuel, and it's in chapter 9. And before I get to it, I want to do just a a little review, okay? Uh, Just to understand the stage, the history where we are in this chapter. Up to this time, God had been the king of Israel. And God communicated His desires, His decrees, His laws through prophets through the priest, through those that he had anointed, the judges. And now we're at a place in history in 1 Samuel where the children of Israel are tired of God being their king. They want a king like all the other nations. They want someone who's big and tall and good looking and, and you know, is really good on TV. Uh, They asked someone recently why they voted for uh, President-elect Obama. And this person that they interviewed said, because he looked so cool. Well, this is what Israel wanted. They wanted somebody who really looked cool. And so Samuel is grieved over this because he knows what they're doing. And then it says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6, Give us a king to judge us, the people say to Samuel. And in verse 7, And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So Samuel goes out to find a king. They've rejected God. And so what does he do? He goes out and he finds one of the most handsome men in all the land. A man by the name of Saul. He's head and shoulders. And it says in Isaiah, or 1 Samuel 9, 2, And there was not a more handsome person than Saul among the children of Israel. From his shoulders up, upward, he was taller than any of his people. He was head and shoulders taller than any other person, and he was handsome. And this is what the people wanted. Wow, look at our king. He's a good-looking guy. He's He's cool. And he becomes king. And you know, he kind of starts off well. But you know, God wants 100% obedience from you and from me. And, and Saul started off well, but he was asked by God to go to the Amalekites and to destroy them. Because the Amalekites had raided Israel when they were coming up out of, uh, out of Egypt. God remembers, okay? God remembers sin. God's going to judge sin. You're going to have to stand before Almighty God one day. 
And my question to you today, are you prepared to stand before God? Are your sins forgiven? Are you sure? If you're not sure, I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this service to be sure. I'm going to invite you at the end of this service to get up and come stand in front of this platform. I'm going to have a prayer with you where you can confess your sins to God and ask for His forgiveness and receive His Son, Jesus Christ, into your heart and into your life. God told Saul to destroy the Amalekites for their sins, for their ambushing Israel when they came up out of Egypt. God remembered, and he was going to bring judgment against the Amalekites for what they did. He said, you killed the women, the children, the men, kill all of their animals. Don't you spare one of them. You destroy all of them. And Saul goes out and does exactly what God says, about 92% of it. 92%. You say, well, that's not bad. You know, that's 92. That's an A. (laughs) God wants 100% obedience, not 92% obedience. And because Saul spared some of the animals, and he said, I'm going to use it for a sacrifice. He spared the king's life. God didn't say anything about sparing the best of animals. He didn't say anything about sparing the king's life. He just said, destroy it all. But Saul disobeyed, and he brought them back. And here's what God said. Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And Saul disobeyed. And God said, I'm going to appoint another. And he withdrew his hand off of, off of Saul. And he began to search. And he's found a little boy. Remember David, the little shepherd boy who killed Goliath, the great giant? This is the one now that God chose to be king over Israel. And he anoints him as king. And there is now a period of several years that was transitioning now from Saul to David. And David is the king anointed, kind of like the king elect. (laughs) He's just waiting for his time. And Saul had a son by the name of Jonathan, David's best friend. And the two of them, Saul and Jonathan, were killed in battle. And David is now made king. He rules Israel. He begins to fight the enemies of the Lord. And he begins to defeat these enemies, and now there's a little period of peace. And now this is where I want to start our message this morning. All of this has been just a little review, so we kind of understand what is now taking place. Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, but Jonathan, Saul's son, strangely enough, was David's best friend. And when Saul was trying to kill David, Jonathan would warn his friend David, David, my dad's trying to kill you. Run, David, run. And David loved Jonathan. He loved him. My son is in in the army. He's already had um, two tours to Iraq. He's been one tour now to Afghanistan. He's back home. Boy, thank you, Lord. But he's going to be deployed again next uh, summer. Uh, but he was with the Army Rangers on those three tours, and uh, they're in combat quite often because as Rangers, uh, they go out every night hunting targets and uh, going after selected individuals. And my son said, you know, Dad, when you're in battle, he said, the men that you go to battle with, he said, they become your closest friends. You would give your life to save your buddy. And this is the way it was with David and Jonathan. They had been in battle together. And and Jonathan was David's best friend. They loved each other. They trusted each other. 
They depended on each other. And when Jonathan was killed, he cried for his friend Jonathan. And now we're in 2 Samuel, and I want to look at uh, chapter 9, starting with verse 1. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. And David asked, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul, to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody left in the house of Saul? Hmm. Remember, anybody left in the house of Saul is a threat to David's throne because they could be heir to the throne, may want to try to have David killed so that they could take over the kingship. This is a problem. And David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul so that I can show kindness? Why? Because of Jonathan, his best friend. He wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul, household named Ziba. They called him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Your servant, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is in the house of Makir, son of Amil in Lodibar. So David had him brought from Lodibar, from the house of Makir, son of Amil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth? Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Wow. This is one of the great stories in the Bible. David the king. And this little crippled boy. Who comes before David. And he falls down. He's trembling. Listen, he is scared to death. He knows that he is a threat to David. He knows that David most likely is going to kill him. And he's afraid. And the king says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Is there anybody left in the house of Saul? The Bible paints pictures, okay? Now we've got a little picture. Now let's talk about this picture. It's more than just this crippled boy and this king. You see, you're in this picture. That's right, you're in it. I'm in this picture. You see, we have been crippled by sin, okay? This little boy could not even stand before the king. He was lame in both feet. We are crippled by sin. Now, we are spiritually cripples in the eyes of God. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible, talking about the human race, said the mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction, and misery mark their way. This is the human race. And there's a way that seems right to man, but at the end that leads to death. You see, David understood what it was to have crippled feet. David had sinned against God. David himself, this king, had committed adultery, and then he tried to cover it up. And the woman that he committed adultery with, he had her husband killed in battle. A man by the name of Uriah the Hittite. 
And not only did Uriah kill, but there were other men with him in the battle that got killed, all because David was trying to cover up this sin. So David's own hands dripped with the blood of innocent people. He was guilty of adultery. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of sin. But yet he confessed his sins. He repented of his sin, asked God for forgiveness, and God forgave David. And God will forgive each and every one of you. David knew what it was to have crippled feet, for he writes himself in Psalms 56, For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. He says in Psalms 116, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from stumbling. This little boy comes before the king. All of us are crippled. The Bible says every one of us have sinned against God. And the wages of sin is death. That's right. All of us are under the sentence of death. This little boy, uh, Mephibosheth, is under the sentence of death and he comes before the king. You and I, as we stand before Almighty God, we deserve death because we have sinned against God. And you say, Frank, what do you mean by sin? Uh, you know, we, we, we're living now in a whole different world. We can do things today that we couldn't do. Listen, sin is sin. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, a million years from now. God doesn't change His standards. He doesn't change His laws. They're the same. And the Bible says all of us have sinned. And you say, well, Franklin, what's a oh, lying is a sin. Have you ever lied? And if you say no, well, you're a liar. <laughs> All of us have sinned. Every one of us here has, has, has told a lie at least once, twice a day. All of us are guilty. And we deserve death for that. We deserve separation from God for eternity because we have sinned. How about stealing? Have you ever taken anything? Well, when I was little, I took, a, I took a pack of juicy fruit gum out of the store and I didn't pay for it. Well, you're guilty. And we kind of laugh at that. Oh, would, would, would God be so silly to... Listen, sin is sin. David committed adultery. Have you committed adultery? Any type of sexual relationships outside of a marriage relationship is a sin against God. And I'm talking about a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. I'm not talking about two women. I'm not talking about two men. That's not a marriage relationship. Any type of sexual relationship outside that marriage relationship is a sin against God. And there are many of you here, you're guilty of sexual sins. But guess what? God will forgive you today and He'll cleanse you. That's right. He will cleanse you and He'll forgive you. And you can leave this church this morning forgiven, cleansed, with a new beginning. But you've got to be willing to come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Murder is a sin against God. And you say, well, Franklin, give us a break. Uh, not only is it, you, you go to jail in New Mexico for that. Well, no, not necessarily. You see, abortion is murder. And there are many of you in here this morning, you're guilty. But God will forgive you. That's right. He will forgive you. If you're willing to come to His Son, Jesus Christ. I was being interviewed a few years ago by a lady. And she was a reporter with a, a national magazine. And she, and this interview process was over several days. And um, I got tired of it after a while. And I said, well, can I ask you some questions? And she puts her pen down. And she folds her arms and she looks at me like, well, okay, I'm ready to be amused. Go ahead, ask your questions. And I just asked, I said, where do you stand before God? Are your sins forgiven? And her eyes filled up with tears. I mean, it's just like all of a sudden a faucet was turned on. And her little lip began to quiver. I said, you know, God loves you. 
And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, out of heaven for you. When Christ came to this earth, He died for your sins. He was buried for your sins. And and God raised Him to life. Don't you want to put your faith and trust in Him? Will you receive Him today as your Lord and Savior? And she said, I will. Right there. I said, would you repeat this prayer after me right now? She said, I will. And we were in a restaurant. There were other people sitting at the table. They're kind of staring at us like, what's going on? I just took her by the hand and we bowed our head and we had a a prayer where she asked Christ to come into our heart and our life. And I'm going to ask you to do that in just a moment. And as soon as she prayed this prayer, she said, I've got something to confess to you. I said, don't, I thought, uh-oh, don't, don't conf- you don't have to confess anything to me. You just, God has forgiven you. No, I have to say this to you. I said, okay. She said, 20 years ago I had an abortion. And every day of my life it has haunted me. Can God forgive me for what I did? And big tears streaming down her face. I said, he just did. He's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. And she just wept. Put her face in her hands and she just wept. All of us have sinned, okay? Every one of us. Every one of us is guilty. Every one of us is under the the death sentence to be separated from God for eternity. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but everlasting life. This little crippled boy, he comes before David and he's trembling, he's afraid. And David said, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of Jonathan. Listen, God will show us kindness not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ did. When this little boy, Mephibosheth, came to David, you think David looked down there and saw Mephibosheth? He saw his friend Jonathan. He saw his best. That's, that's his boy. That's Jonathan's boy. Look at him. He looks like Jonathan. He's got the same dimples. He's got the same smile. He saw Jonathan. And what did he do? He showed him kindness and grace and mercy to this little boy. And he restored him all of his grandfather's property. He gave it back to this boy. And then he said, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to sit at my table. You're going to live with me in the palace. For the rest of your life. God showed kindness and He showed grace and mercy to that little boy. David loved him because of Jonathan. And God will show you kindness, grace, and mercy. Not because you deserve it, but because of Jesus Christ. And when you come to Christ and accept Christ, you come into the presence of Almighty God and God doesn't see you. He sees the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from all of our sin, all of our iniquities. And you say, but Franklin, why do I have to come to Christ? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There has been no other person in all of history to take your sins. Buddha didn't do it. Krishna didn't do it. Muhammad didn't do it. No other person in history has taken your sins. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who came out of heaven on a rescue mission. He came to this earth to save you and me. And He took our sins and He went to the cross and He died on that cross. He shed His blood on that cross. He was buried with our sins. He took our sins to the grave. And on the third day, God in heaven said, It's enough. It's been paid in full. And He raised His Son to life. Jesus Christ is here. And guess what? He'll come into your heart and He'll come into your life 
today. And Jesus Christ can make a difference in your life today, this moment, if you're willing to confess your sins to God and ask for forgiveness, to be willing to repent, turn from your sins, and invite Christ to come into your heart, into your life. You can leave here this morning forgiven. Would you like that? Would you like to have all that guilt that you've been carrying around, all that shame? Would you like to be set free? You can be free today, but you've got to come to God through Christ. There is no other way to God. There is no other path. Only through Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to ask you to do this morning, is to come to Him. And if you have never met Jesus Christ, if you have never trusted Him as your Savior, if you have never invited Him to come into your heart to be the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to do that right now. You're not coming to Franklin Graham. I can't save you. I'm a sinner. I've been forgiven because when I was 22 years of age, I got on my knees and I said, God, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me to turn from my sins. I want Christ to come and and, and live in me and, and take the pieces of my broken life and put it together. I said, Lord, you can have it. And that day I gave Jesus Christ my life and he forgave me and he cleansed me. And he'll do the exact same thing for you this morning. But you see, God has provided the way of salvation. He sent Jesus Christ for you, but you've got to be willing to accept it. You've got to be willing to believe it. You've got to be willing to surrender your life to Him. Will you do that this morning? If you're willing to do that, if you want a new life and a new beginning, just get up out of your seat, make your way to the aisle and stand right here in front. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a few moments when when you have come. You're not coming to me. You're coming this morning to God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. Will you do that right now? You come. Let us all stand to our feet. You come. As God leads you, you come. Just another moment. Is there anyone else? This is a holy moment. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. But you have to come to Him through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. If you haven't done it, do it right now. This is the... I'm going to ask the worship team just one more, one more verse. And uh, this morning we'll be through. But you come right now. If God's leading you, you come right now. Those of you who come, and if you're outside in the overflow of the hub, uh, you can just get up out of your seat and come stand in the front there. There'll be somebody that is willing to speak with you right there. You can do that right now. I want to say to those of you that have come, by coming this morning, you're saying to God, I'm a sinner. And you say, but Franklin, doesn't God know that? Yeah. He wants to hear you say it. It's just called confession. Just coming into an agreement with God. And by coming to this morning, you're saying to God, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me. I want to turn from my sins. I don't want to stay there anymore. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I want a new life. I want a new beginning. I'm ready to leave and turn from my sins. And that's important. When you come to Christ, you've got to be willing to leave the sinful life you've been living. That's right. You've got to turn and say, Frank, I don't think I can do this on my own. You won't be alone. Because right now I'm going to lead you in a prayer to ask God's forgiveness and for you to accept Jesus Christ into your heart by faith, okay? And when He comes into your heart, you won't be alone. He will help you, okay? He will help you. He'll, he'll be with you from this moment for the rest of your life. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me, okay? This, a prayer is simply talking to God like I'm talking to you. And I just want to lead you through the prayer. Just pray out loud after me. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, 
I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I want to turn from my sins. Help me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. Who died for my sins. Who rose again. I want to invite him to come into my heart to take control of my life. From this day forward. Forevermore. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, you know why they're clapping? Because the Bible says if just one sinner repents, just one, that all of heaven rejoices. And let me tell you, heaven is rejoicing, and that's why we're rejoicing with you. What God has just done in your life. Pastor Skip's going to come, and he's got a few words that he wants to say. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.